Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. A warm welcome to episode two, season four of the Young Hearts Run Free podcast. It's a big welcome to my co-host, John Cassidy. John, how are we doing today? I'm doing absolutely fine, but you're sounding a wee bit metal Mickey. You far away? I'm actually on my travels. Funny you should say that. Where have you got to now? Well, such was my um, love of London a couple of weekends back. I've just come back to relive it. Oh, did the, did the folk for the marathon invite you back doing for a, a lap honour? Photo shoot. <laughs> they wanted to... <laughs> They wanted to take a photo of my undercarriage. <laughs> of course, they're doing it. I know, I've seen this week, they're doing a rebranding, aren't they? Of, they are, aye. They've got a new sponsor, so tell you, man, I can't wait for for these big vinyls to go on the side of Vans and all, and Stevie's undercarriage advertising the London Marathon. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know where I am right now, John? No, Danny. I am outside Buckingham Palace. Just at the top of the mall, just at the final home sprint straight at the marathon, the last 300 yards. Have we taken the flags doing yet? The flags are all done. It's just looking like tourist central. Ah, perfect. Perfect. The Queenie's out in the balcony, gear us a wave. <laughs> well, give her, give her my very best, Stephen. Please. I will. I will. Be I will much appreciated. Much appreciated. So, listen, <laughs> let, let's talk about. There was quite a good reaction to last week's episode where we did a what's and all about the London Marathon. What's your thoughts on that? I no, I got it really. I really enjoyed it for the fact that I think I said this on a tweet. It saved me writing a blog that I'll never actually write. That will ever be in my head. So, if maybe ever listen to it, and that's all that is, it's just this moment in time that you and I have recorded. Job done. Hi. I'm just going to speak because you're, you must be, it sounds like you're rolling about in a bucket of candy floss or something. So, I'm just going to keep speaking to you, get yourself sorted. Well, uh, is that yeah. any better? Hi, you're back now. We, we got that. You said that um, about. Recording the podcast is better than you writing a blog. Because you've got all these great ah. things you've done, but you've never written a word. Nah, never written it. Like, I, I think I said, pretty much I write blogs the same way that I run weight 150. Never actually finish them. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So, yeah, there, so, has been, I, there has been a lot of love shown, hasn't there, for the... Absolutely. Definitely. And there's been tons of people got in touch through Insta, Strava and Twitter and stuff just to say that they enjoyed it and they took a lot from it. Just that sort of here's my London experience. So it's always always great hearing from people who listen, who take time to listen to us, isn't it, John? Definitely. And what I think is brilliant too is that people have obviously given some of the comments on Instagram and Twitter. They've listened to the end. They're not just they're not just dipping a toe in. They've listened to the end because, and I noticed as well, some of your new pals that you mentioned, they've been commenting as well, which is awesome. Absolutely aye, great. Spread the word. My pals that I met at the end. So, aye, definitely. And I've been doing in London sticking Young Hearts Run Free podcast stickers everywhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing London, you could actually probably do a running treasure hunt to find the Young Hearts Run Free 
podcast. In fact, I think we should ask Debbie Martin Pensani to do that because she's been here quite a bit running. That could be a that could be a challenge for Debbie. Maybe maybe he get a map made for her. Um, I just like that. So no, it's, it's great, and and I think a lad called Ian Quimby and a guy a guy who who ran the marathon just ahead of me, Jerry Healy, both got in touch with tips about shorts that then he shred at the crotch. So thank you very much for those tips. Brilliant. See, we're always learning. We're always learning, and I thought I hope our listeners this week are impressed at your dedication that even although you're back down in London you're here to record this introduction to this awesome episode we've got this week I am, I've taken some time out from the joyous family time that we've been having so I'm Oh you've taken your family with you this time Aye, I kind of thought that maybe should no, so <laughs> yes, the whole squad's here Good stuff. So let's let's talk about this week's episode. We have got a very, very special guest, don't we? Oh, it's an absolute snabber. <laughs> There's a direct <laughs> dictionary entry if ever I heard one. <laughs> ah, oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a, it's a, a great guest. It's going to be an enjoyable, what, hour and 20? Uh, we could have we shut him up. <laughs> no, um, it's a person that has been inspirational to both Stephen and I for a number of years um, and as soon as we say the name you're going to get it. Um, well you know what you've probably seen the podcast yeah. art already um, so sure you'll have. know it's it's Robbie Britton none other than, than Robbie Britton we've got on this week and Robbie is releasing a book out on the 15th of November called 1001 Running Tips but I'll tell you after listening to this episode it's got to be at least 1,050 because he goes, as Stephen says, at some pace. He's oh, just the a cadence is high. Aye. The cadence is high. Fear not, Vertebrate Publishing, who are the the publishing publishers behind the book. <laughs> we do we do bring Robbie back to the book now and again because man, he goes off like a steam train all over the place. It's absolutely brilliant. But it does, he, it's, like, it's like watching Zach Miller run an ultra marathon. Put <laughs> the, the traps like a bullet. <laughs> and you know what was good? We spoke with Robbie just a few days after his return to ultra running. He, he had taken part in a six-hour event in Andorra in Italy. Um, six hours of running around a two-kilometer track, I think it was, around the marina. Um, yep. And that was that was his return after a wee while off, Stephen, wasn't it? Yeah, he's been nagged with little persistent injuries that he's, he's struggled to, to shake. But it seemed from his, his mood and his how buoyant he was that he was buzzing still from that six-hour effort running around 2K loops. So I don't think there'll be any holding him back now. No, not at all. But he speaks quite openly about his time out, his injury, his recovery. And you know what? He also speaks about how he's been learning. Was it wobbleboard he spoke about? He's been learning about retraining his foot placement. I think that's yeah. brilliant. You never, ever stop learning if you're willing to find out new things, you know? So um, it was really good. He also speaks about the power of mentors. Yeah. The power of Mentos. Mentos aren't even a sponsor of a Young Hearts Run Free podcast yet. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? It's a, 
it is an awesome lesson. It is a yep. lesson for your long run this weekend or any weekend you want to go to. It. Um, so I think we'll keep this intro short and we'll get mm-hmm. Robbie in. Um, thank yep. I, I give a heartfelt thanks to you, Stephen, for being doing the big smoke and giving up some of your family time to come on Listen, and record the intro. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a problem. Where are they? Oh, hopefully, I'm hiding behind a wall around the corner. Maybe they'll find me for a couple of hours. <laughs> so, I'm going to let you get Robbie in the house. On you go. Aye, yep, that's the front door right now. Big welcome along to Robbie coming up next. Welcome, to Young Hats Run Fee. How you doing, Robbie? You all right? Yeah, I'm not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Also in the house or in the sauna is Stephen. How are you, Stephen? I'm fucking sweating my arse off. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you I'm what, I'm away man. already. I'm away already. <laughs> right. Listen, first thing, we're going to speak to Robbie about Robbie's new book that's coming out. That is going to be part of what we speak about. But we've already had a bit of a chat um, before we started recording. And there's loads. I think we're definitely going to have to get Robbie back at some point because uh, we've just not got enough time to, in, this, in this episode. What I would like to start with, though, Robbie, is ask you about your weekend just passed. That we're now recording on the 6th of October, so the weekend just passed. How was, how was that for you? Yeah, it's all right. I did a, my first ultra-distance running race in nearly two years. I did a, a very poor one. 18 months ago and uh yeah, first successful ultra distance running race in two years so i ran for six hours around a marina in andorra with one r which is on the ligurian coast of italy up at north and uh it was 2k loops around a marina because why would you want to run anywhere other than around a small two kilometer loop? it's luxurious compared to a 400 meter track so just to be clear this is not your spanish andorra carry on no no, no, not, not that one. Principal, wherever it is, country in, in the in the Pyrenees. It's just a small town on the coast of uh, Italy, the north. As you kind of, if you look at Italy on a map, and it curves round towards France. Yeah. Time out. It's in there on the coast. So is it? It was a six two kilometer loop. Was yeah. the was it a case of in six hours run as far as you can? Was that was yeah. that the was that the game? That's the one. And how did you really? finish? I I ran 75, 70, just under 76k um, and finished first. Uh, I had three and a half pretty good hours, um, two and a half not so good hours. It wasn't my finest performance, um, but the legs weren't what let, were not what let me down. So uh, I was, that's good, right? But yeah. if you, you come back from a knee injury and you spend six hours with good knees, but you shit yourself, that's not too bad. Uh, I did, result, that wasn't man. the issue in the end, actually. That wasn't the issue. It was, a, it was stomach issues that derailed me a little bit. And uh-huh. then I, what did I do? I, I strained an intercostal muscle <laughs> whilst retching to try and make yourself sick. So then, so then I couldn't breathe properly. So I panicked a little bit because of the last 90 minutes, I could only take really shallow breaths. <laughs> so everyone thought I was crying uh, as I ran around. <laughs> and I just looked like a bit of a, I looked like a bit of a wally because I had Relatively speaking, I was going, I wasn't going super fast. I was going quite a comfortable effort for me. But compared to the rest of the field, I was going really fast. Uh, and then when I slowed down, I just looked like that normal geezer who went off too fast and, and, and slowed down at the end and was just making excuses. 
And even they said on the podium, here's Robbie. Uh, he had a little bit of indigestion, but he did really well. And I was like, I didn't have indigestion. <laughs> I was panicking. Take a couple of rainies. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be all right, mate. So, yeah. so uh, Robbie, if you don't mind me asking, that enforced two-year layoff, has that been injury-related? Yeah. Yeah. It's coincided perfectly with COVID, right? Ah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a long-term issue. I have a real uh, issue with my, my right lateral side, like the like, lateral chain. Um, so my knee is the one that suffers most. Uh, yeah. What happened? We don't know. I still haven't really figured out what was going on. Um, I potentially goes back to a, a fall I had in a big race one summer. Uh, and it just, I, it just, my right leg just tightened up more and more and more of each run. Uh, and then after, like the 2016 uh, European champs, it had gone completely before that. I ended up in knee surgery afterwards and, and time off after that. It was better for a while because I'd rested, but the problem then re-arose and it was like I either accepted it was the cartilage was completely destroyed, which has not much solution, or it was a problem of a more postural or, or, or muscular uh, issue and I like to think that's what. So in the last couple of years, I've been doing some really good stuff with Paul Tierney, um, who's an Irish runner who lives in the Lakes, and he's been helping a lot with how my feet move uh, and bits like that. And we just worked on kind of re-educating the foot pattern. And I've been doing a lot of stuff with a local physio here um, this last year, which has just been really kind of rehabbing his, yeah, from basics, like going and doing just like loads of different types of calf raises and loads of balance stuff on wobble boards. Um, it's good because they're a bit cheaper out here, so I can afford to go twice a week at the moment. Yeah, it's right fancy that, isn't it? So, yeah, and so it's kind of just been, still wouldn't say I had a diagnosis of what happened, right. but it's been but a lot of ups and downs over the last, longer than two years, but two years it stopped me actually properly running. Um, and just kind of the last six months, eight months, has been really patiently kind of just, you don't see the progress, right? It's like, it's kind of, it's never, like we expect things to like, just snap and fix right and i've just spent every week doing something that doesn't feel like it's doing anything and yeah. over months that's built up and it's had a positive impact so even like so running for six hours it was just a i wanted a goal i wanted something to work towards we found a race nearby um and and that was just something to, to go for and you look at it oh god yeah i wanted to do this i wanted to do that but in reality i've just got to focus on positive to that one and yeah i had a my, my leg was tested because it had two little hairpins on the 2k loop um so I, my knee was sore but not like in any way that it stopped me running so a good a good outing then both we get both of the result and well done finishing first yeah. that's absolutely brilliant and but how how disciplined have you had to be to sort of hold yourself back for the last while and put your sort of building up to the six hour run then well in terms of running yeah with with, with, with regards to um not getting injured again like it's weird because i've always been quite a resilient runner i think it comes from like the multi-sport background like as a youth i played football i played rugby the kickboxing i just did anything that like let me burn off some rather excess energy and uh i've always been quite resilient for injuries so like even now like once like this one niggle is just it's there i don't really like i can go out and i can i can always sustain a reasonably high amount of training um I, I guess yeah from from coaching you learn what works for it's often not just it's not like you, like those kind of 
sessions where you finish just like you're just absolutely destroying yourself every week remember you do that as a youngster and you think yeah i'm going on the track i'm going to race all the lads and i'm going to bury myself and actually you know that it's like oh if i just do the session at 90 percent i'm getting a load of the benefits i'm not destroyed and i can train again a few days later that that kind of yeah maybe i'm being more sensible these days with that although i my wife and some friends that have visited recently would deny that because they've seen me come in from a session and just lie on the floor for half an hour so again like yeah i'm still an idiot um you can still know what's right it's like the uh the i don't know the barber with a bad haircut or something like still an idiot still an idiot just less of an idiot yeah i'm an idiot who knows he's being an idiot (laughs) (laughs) there's a a tagline there's a tagline right there so yeah no and i've been cycling a lot the last couple of years so it's really in terms of actually, because building the running back up, if I was just running, it would be quite difficult because you, yeah, you're doing quite low volumes and been sensible. A lot of this year, I've been doing 20, 30 miles a week, um, not much in terms of elevation, just keeping it flat. And then as the the months have gone on and the goals have changed, because I've had some bike races this year as well, so I've focused on them. Uh, and as the goals have changed, my body's been quite good at adapting back to to the running. But it's the same, isn't it? If I if my calves are kind of going like, whoa, mate, this is a big step for us. I just jump on the bike for a couple of days, and it's it's you're golden. I think I, I mean it's a really useful tool to be able to to enjoy cycling, not just to have it as an option. Because I think that's different, right? Cross training is great if you if you use it to kind of help prevent injury. But if you enjoy and have a sport within yours that is complementary and can actually be beneficial to your running, then yeah. Feels like I'm onto a winner. Oh, that's a good takeaway already. That, that road bike of mine, John, that's hanging up in the the garage. I, I need to get it dusted off. I think because <laughs> yeah, it's just Scottish winter. <laughs> oh, I, honestly, well, I'll get it hooked up on a turbo trainer. <laughs> I'm not actually going out there. <laughs> You're seeing one Zwift. Oh, I'll be a Zwift. <laughs> I was on Zwift last night. Can't knock it. I like that thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good option. It's a good option, like you say, Robbie. I think that is something, you know, it's like, okay, the body's kind of protesting, but it doesn't protest the cycling and I enjoy it. Yeah, we've actually had a couple of people on the podcast who have said, Hamish Battle is one of them, was saying that he he was injured, couldn't run, so he got on his bike. I think he had, he had, a, he had pretty much had about a year on his bike, I think, you know, and he, just to keep the fitness up and keep that going. But some of the 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 bike stuff you do as well, Robbie. There's a fair bit of elevation in that, isn't there? Yeah, well, we live in a, a V-shaped like river valley that the Giro d'Italia has been through. So on one side, we have a 600-metre road climb. On the other side, it's a 1,000-metre road climb. Where is it you so have, Robbie? Flat roads, and I do sometimes. But... Oh, where, is it, where, is it, where is it you have? Well, it's a town called Codula. You know the, the brand, Fila? Yeah, it's the town that they were born in, right? And now the factories are all empty, and they were like, "Well, no one lives in that, so no one paid." We we ended up getting an apartment for five thousand euros. We saw it and was like, "Excuse me, guys, this is an error on your website. It says this apartment's five grand," and uh, they were like, "No, no, it's just no one wants to live here." So we were like, "Brilliant. Well, we'll live here because it's beautiful." <laughs> and like, uh, we, yeah, we so we went from we were in the French Alps and we moved across. To Codula, it's across from like the lakes. You've got Lago de Maggiore, Lago d'Orta, and you come across the Codula at the end of a little river valley. And uh, it's yeah, it's quality, it's 
and it's just that, like the people around here there's, there is a reasonably high average age in especially in our little hamlet um but we've also got a, like, a team of runners we work we run with and there's like, some good runners in there man and female some cyclists like local cyclists i train with so we've got the core kind of training groups and uh yeah it's quality so i do a fair bit of cycling up and down hills because that's what i've got oh yeah man that's living the dream living oh. the dream i know i'm, I'm now got that wonderlust i'll send you the website was it idealista.it it's got like you can just search for homes over italy and you can just do cheapest first and uh, it comes out four grand you're like what that's a shit and then you go like eight grand oh that's actually an apartment all right and then you're like 15 grand that's a house with only three walls okay it's like um searching for flights apart from it's houses it's usually like sky scanner cheapest first yeah, <laughs> somewhere to live. We'll create a, like a commune of runners out in this little town. There's a few places I'll send. I'll send over so you can put it in the show notes. Robbie needs neighbours who like running. <laughs> There's an offer. <laughs> John is handed his notice in at the um, the day job. I, I can work. For, I, I can work for anywhere. I can work for anywhere. Everyone these days, eh? Brilliant. Sorry to go uh, off tangent there. We tend to do that from time to time, so apologies. I just was yeah, interested. This is, this is the new section, the Home in the Alps segment. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Like Brits Abroad pro- property program? Like, Aye, that's yeah. it, man. <laughs> is it, a place in the one sun. Of the fellas, one of the fellas I cycle with is a Dutch geezer, and he's on currently on national Dutch telly on a program called Find the B&B Owner a Wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Four nights a week, he's on telly, and they did this, they filmed it earlier this year, and he's they're like millions of people in Holland are watching him, and it, like, so he's fully booked in his little B and B. It's like ten mile from here, and uh, I'll go sight. His name's Vincent. He's got Casa Valdugia, and it's just around the corner. And uh, yeah, like, people come and knock on his door for selfies and stuff. Now he's like he's famous in Holland. It's, just, oh, it's like reality TV star. It's just my it's Vincent who I go training with. He's a lovely chap. And uh, yeah. Okay, and it's listen, I'm going to bring this back to running. Okay. Oh, I, <laughs> I forgot that. That's what we're here for. I was waiting to get on to pizzas. Bugger. Oh, well, listen. Robbie's got a pizza story. I was speaking to Robbie just before we started recording, and we were speaking about, um, I threw in the name Ali Bevan. I said, Have you met Ali, Robbie? And that Robbie's going to tell us a wee story about supporting yeah. Ali in the tour. On you go, Robbie. Life and I supported Ali uh, well, a couple of weeks back at the Tour de Jots, and we would just pop into the life bases. We took his, his extra Snickers and stuff and some clothes and things. And um, yeah, yeah, like, one of the things that Ali did really well in the second half of that race was just keep fueling really. And it's 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 the kind of thing where you're really tired of after like 60 hours. You don't want to eat anything. Like you don't want to eat. The, you've optimistically packed 100 gels and, and these special flapjacks that you know you love. And after like eight hours, you're like. I don't ever want to see a flapjack ever again in my life. Um, so we, we all we stole all of Ali's flapjacks. They were really nice. These talk ones he had that are like there was ginger in them. And, and you're not going to eat these, Ali, are you? He's like, no. I was like, they're coming home. They're expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we gave him a pizza at Gressony, 200k in, and he folded it up. I got a picture on my phone, and he folded it up and just bit a hole in the middle. Um, but he ate the whole the whole pizza. We've got him, and and and, and that's probably one of the reasons. He obviously his own ability. Um, and his his resilience and his his fueling the whole way through. That he he then stormed through the rest of the field. 
him and Paul Tierney, we were just like slowly feeding pizzas to. Um, Paul was being crewed by his partner Sarah, and uh, yeah, we just we was, it's really nice. It's, if, if like we've been to the Tour de France for the last oh, five or six years now, either my wife Nats has run it once. Uh, we've crewed, we've supported, or we've just gone there to be part of it because it's just a fantastic event. Just really, really. I love it. It's top. Of, it's probably top of my bucket list. If I if I can convince my legs that it's a good idea, um, but yeah, absolute beautiful part of the world, beautiful people, good competitive race, and yeah, it's got everything. Sure, the organisers will be lining you up a free place for the PR. <laughs> if you get got a bit of them, we need one for next for next pizza year. Pizza VIP package. <laughs> Are we back on running now then? Yeah, we're, we're, we're I'm going to focus on running for the next 10 minutes at least when we focus right. on running. Okay, where are we going, John? Well, Robbie's just mentioned life bases, and I said to Robbie as well, life bases is a new concept to me. I've heard the aid stations, and I mentioned about Derek Fish on the Swiss Peaks, and Robbie says, oh, I was at that as well. <laughs> Robbie's uh, wife, Natalie, was, was running at the 100k at the Swiss Peaks event as well. But life bases, so Robbie, with your experience and knowledge, can you explain to us aid stations, checkpoints, life bases? What's the crack? So, like, I guess the yeah, your general in a tour de Saint-Jean's sense is probably where the first time I've seen a, a, a described as a life base. But they have checkpoints, um, uh, which are just kind of your normal. Like they're indoors normally, but they've got your all your food, your cokes, your, your hot snacks, and all the kind of stuff you would expect from a, a top quality checkpoint at any race. And they have the refugios along the route, and all the refugios have got selections. They've got other stuff. You can probably buy extra things there, but they're all really well stocked. And then over the course of the race, the first one's the Val Grisench, and they're getting there on the first evening. Um, and then you've got uh, Konya, uh, Donas, Gresseny, Valtenench, and Olamont, and then the finish. These are the, and these are the life bases, and, and you've got a bag for the tour. And in your bag at the start, you can put all your gubbins, all you want, your spare clothes, your sexy knickers for the finish line, all this kind of stuff. And you put it in your bag and that gets transported along with you. Uh, and they've got two and a half thousand volunteers over the whole course of the race. I'm not being paid by the Tour I do literally just love the race. Um, and uh, they, they, they move that bag along. And when you get to the life bases, you've got like, a menu of food you can pick, choose from. There's cots to sleep in, there's masseuses. Uh, there's, there's a beer tap for all ones. There's like a portable beer tap thing that they get in there. So people can have a little beer when they sit down between them. You generally, and, it, and it's like a segment of that race, and people will go from section to section. And some of the front guys will go straight, and girls will go straight through there, or might have a five minute sleep, 20 minute sleep. Uh, other people are in there for three, four, five hours, uh, and, and there, it's so a life basis. It's basically where you sort your life out. Um, probably mm. the best way to describe it. As a, a checkpoint, you go through and you continue your race. Your life base, you reset. You, you can get everything sorted. You just, yeah, you start your next day. Are these terms covered in your 1001 running tips? I think they might be. I know I know. I covered uh, sleep deprivation and, and multi-day racing. Obviously, in the, in the, in the running sense, you, your multi-days, you think of like the Marathon de Saab, which is going on at the moment, um, your Dragon's Back in, the, in, in Wales and things like that which is where there is a set time you're sleeping every night, right? You're not just going the whole way through. And you've got your multi-days like the, the, the Tour de Jean, Swiss Peaks. Um, in the US, you've got your Tahoe 200 and the Moab 240, things, where it's a continuous run. So it's multi-days, but the clock don't stop. In the same way that the whole six-day racing, the 48-hour stuff, which is 
goes back to Victorian times where we were filling stadiums, watching men with monocles walk around tracks for six, six days. Um, so there's a section on that because it's an area I know a little bit about from working with athletes that have done it um, and also from, from cycling. And it, I think a lot of it the, with the sleep deprivation is definitely transferable. The muscle damage, obviously a lot easier. You can do, you can experiment a lot with sleep depth and stuff on the bike, which you can't do on the run. If you do a 100, 200 mile run, you're out of action for a while, right? You're just a bit tired. You're a bit broken. You do a bike r- a ride that goes overnight, you're sleep deprived, but physically you, you're generally all right. So I've done, over the last couple of years, whilst I've been off running, I've been cycling through multiple evenings to see what happens. Um, so that is covered in the book. Was it you, Robbie, that I read about recently eating polo mints on a bike? Is that you? Eating what, sorry? Polo mints. Oh, mentos. Mentos, yeah, mints, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm not a very good bike handler, right? Um, so I, if I'm eating whilst I'm riding the race, I need something that's quite easy to, to kind of get from your pocket and to shove into your face. So I take a sandwich or a banana, right? You try peeling a banana when you can't do no hands, right? I'm not good at that stuff, especially tired. Right? It's a pack of Mentos. If you bite off the end of the pack and squeeze it, the whole packet just shoots into your mouth, right? And <laughs> I think it's like 92 grams of carbs per 100 grams of Mentos. So like they pack a punch throughout what you're carrying as well. So you've got to carry like 10 of those packs up a hill. It's better, uh-huh. it's more effective than, or more efficient in terms of weight per carbs than, than a gel. Um, they're all, they're, you've got to be able to take them on. But yeah, so you're getting 38 grams of carbs per pack of Mentos. So you just squeeze them in. You can buy them. So with the self-supported bike races, you've got to be able to pick them up. You've got to, from the start, you have some stuff with you. But after day two, day three, you're stopping in shops. You, know, you can't buy some gels in a, your average kind of small Italian shop, but you can get Mentos in just about every bar. And uh, I happen to, to quite like them. So, I, yeah, I was doing huge, uh, yeah, just, I was having the mint ones instead of brushing my teeth in the morning. <laughs> Minty then, fresh uh, on the finish line, man. Brilliant, yeah, man. I think like at the end of one race in March, over uh, the final three hours, because I was in a bit of a race with one other chap, up eating nine or ten packets in three hours, just, just squeezing them in whilst on the try button, just squeezing these strings in. And I crashed into a car in that at the end of that as well. I wasn't eating at the time. Their brakes slammed on and I didn't brake quick, quick enough and I rear-ended a car at about 50k an hour. No, I have to ask the question, do mentos have an effect on your stomach? No, I don't think they like. So again, I have combined them with Coca-Cola. So if you type that into YouTube, that's obviously a disaster. Uh-huh. Um, in terms of like, maybe it's my stomach that's all right. I'm, I'm coming up a race where my stomach wasn't great, but on the bike, I can literally eat anything. Um, so I have had a couple of accidents in longer races, but one of them was actually accidentally eating some sugar-free sweets, and that sent me again after four days. If you have an accident like that, you're not quite sure what's caused it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you've forgotten that you're on a bike cycling and wearing pants and you've just like it's just a risky part was so yeah i've had an incident where i've eaten mentos and it's caused an issue that has, has led to a change of clothes or anything um they like they are quite again it, they're pure sugar so if you are taking in higher amounts of um carbohydrates you want to look at if you're going above 60 grams of carbs per hour you want to look at multiple transportable carbohydrates so you're looking at having some kind of dextrose and maltodextrin some from fructose because your body transports it the gut transports it a slightly different way 
So if you are trying to get in massive numbers, you want to have a pack of Mentos and a banana, right? Rather than just your Mentos twice. Um, that's a very simple way of looking at it. But even having it with like Coca-Cola, again, with the bike racing, it, because the stomach's that much easier, it's just about pure volume for me at the time, getting the food in. So I, and what can you buy at every bar across different places? You can get packs of Mentos or Snickers and you can get Coca-Cola. You just load it in your two litres of bottles. You, you squeeze it so it and then and then you should, so it doesn't so it, it, you don't fizz out when you cycle off and then you keep going for another five hours. Whilst uh, yeah, I love I loved how you went into just in the middle of that you dipped into a bit of science. Look, <laughs> I I'm coming to the end of a the a sports nutrition diploma, the postgrad one with uh, the IOC in in Les So it's two years. I found it in my final assignment like last week, and it was I did a case study on on two cyclists doing a 33 hour race and what they ate, and uh, one of them was me. So it was good fun. But yeah, it was quite. Um, you, must, you must have also picked up. One of the things that Steve and I were discussing is that you must have picked up loads of tips yourself personally throughout your your sports career, your your, your journey, because you've represented well, you've you've run all these fantastically big races that we'll cover hopefully another time. But you've also represented your country. You've represented your GB runner too. Yeah, GB. I've only run for England once actually, and GB a handful of times. Um, of course, brilliant. When you can remember how many times you've represented uh, GB, that's fucking brilliant. That's not, it isn't that big a number. It's just kind of one, two, three, four, four. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know what though? But you've you've went through aid stations and checkpoints probably tens of thousands, well thousands of times, you know. And it's all 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 the stuff that you pick up and the knowledge and you see what other people are trying, you know. It's brilliant. So. With the GB stuff, the things that the times you learn the most is when you're not in the race, it's when you're on the sidelines. So I've, I've been part of the management team for the 24 hour squad for a few years now, um, supporting the likes of James James Stewart, Grant McDonald, like uh, Debbie Martin Consani as well. But just being in there and seeing what they do, what more experienced runners do, what people mess up, what the other nations do, looking at Alexander Sorokin and seeing his progression uh, since racing him back. I've raced him quite a few times. He's like lovely. It was so nice to see him do so well. Uh, this year and then you see what they're doing and you learn little bits from each one because you can't it's not like you can just copy people but you just pick up and you just increase your knowledge and I don't know the experience you've got so when the situation that you suddenly find yourself in or the one that runners your crew in fight you find them in there might be a little bit of an experience from somewhere that helps you out it's it's it's, it's hard isn't it because it's not all about just knowing the science around stuff you've just literally You've got to know the runners, but you've got to know this, like, different, there's no science around what happens when, when your runner goes around the corner and throws their biscuits in a bush. Like, what are you going to do about that? You're like, well, we've got to convince them to, to not throw his biscuits in a bush. He's like, well, what does it say in the book? It's like, well, it says, give the runner more biscuits. You're like, well, I don't know what are going to do about that? And, you're like, and then you've got to go out there and get into that situation where you're, uh, this weekend, my wife, and she took great pleasure in handing me sweets that I didn't want to eat. Right, at one point I was really dehydrated and uh, because I force fed her in a, in a loving way uh, so much food during races <laughs> over here, she was like take these three Mentos right and just eat them on the way around and I went around and I ate one and I was like just had no moisture in my mouth and I chucked two in the bush and I told her afterwards but 
again, it, this I think it helps me as a coach and a support because I've been my mind's in that place. You're like, right, they're going to throw two of these away, so I'll give them three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run of disobedience. Yeah, you've got to take it into account. I think when I first qualified for Great Britain, it was running uh, in Barcelona, and um, my crew. Mick, Mick Seymour is a, is a family friend and he, he's been to loads of these events with me and he cruised the GB stuff with us. We do it together now. And um, we had Richard Brown, who's, who's the team manager for the 24-hour squad at the time and he's, a, he's held the Le Jog record. He's a still British 48-hour record holder. And he was giving me these cakes dipped in, in custard. Like, I just didn't like it. I was like, Mick, I don't, I'm eating well. I don't like these things. So Mick had had the cut and he was eating the bit I didn't want whilst Richard wasn't. <laughs> And then handing me the cut, and then I would hand the empty cut back to Richard. And uh, so sometimes you just need a team that kind of that knows oh, you. Yeah. yeah, they know you inside out and yeah. Yeah, how, <laughs> how to handle various situations. I tell, you, I, t- I tell you as well, people listening in, they, they may be going to crew pals or friends or club runners and ultra distance races and going to checkpoints and stuff. And these are, this is, this is, these are great tips. I remember when... I did the West Highland Way race and Stephen did the last leg with me and Stephen brought this packet of biscuits. They were like bits of digestives covered in chocolate. I'd never seen them before, but Stephen had picked them up in Aldi or something like that. God, they were fucking brilliant, man. I couldn't get enough of them. And that's another tip. Take take something that your other runner's not expecting. Because that, you know what I mean? Because they've, if they've picked everything, by the time they get 90 miles in, they're like, sack that. I'm not wanting that. So, yeah, brilliant. I love it. it, Curveball. There's such a psychological element to to our eating. Huge. And it hasn't been covered in this course I've done. I was disappointed, really, that it, like, because it's all well and good to know what we should eat, right? But actually getting, either eating it ourselves or getting an athlete to eat it during a race or, like, if I'd have had a can, like, if I wanted to get Ali to drink at the last life base and he wasn't drinking and I'd have produced a can of iron brew. that would have gone. He would have just, it would have bought, but not just the, the energy, it would have bought him pure joy to see like mm. a Scottish drink around it, like I just I didn't do that. I'm sorry, Ali, if you listen, because what about during? And I was you, I would have been a lovely thing if I had access to that kind of stuff. But then there's the little things that you could do if you are crewing a friend or family. I love yeah. what James does when he with the 24. He has he has notes from families with different songs, and it's dedicated different hours, and he he kind of has those to to dedicate those hours to to the family member, and he has songs and stories and notes handed to him. And it just has a real great emotional tie. And you can, it can be positive and negative as well if you get too emotional. But if you have a reason of why that you're still going for each hour of that race or a reason why you right. keep eating food, then yeah. that's going to give you a lot more motivation to actually get the job done. Yeah, so it's double-edged. Actually, yeah. it helps you scientifically, but emotionally as well is the secret. It's a surprise as well, eh? it's a surprise, we all like a surprise, it's like a kid, you know, getting a, you know, it's like, oh, you brought that, oh, you're an absolute darling, give me a cuddle, I've got minutey yeah. breath, like give me a kiss. <laughs> oh, we're getting deep into the tip territory here, John. Oh, 100%. There's a thing of the hundred percent. There's a thing as well I must mention because um, Robbie does have a book coming out on the fifteenth of November, I believe. Robbie, I think so. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I, I can I can confirm that. 
I can confirm that. It's on the Vertebrate website that's coming out on the 15th of November. It's 20 of your British pounds to purchase this. And if you get in early, I think there's still about 60 of them to pre-order. You can get Robbie to sign it as well. So I, I, I think I'm going to sign, this is because I'm obviously in the wrong country of the books. We've got some postcards made up and I'm going to sign all the postcards with an extra tip. And I'm going to make my effort. I'm going to, if, if people put in their, like if their names are there, I, this is in my head, right? Because it's too, do my research. I'm going to stalk you on Power of 10. I'm going to look it on DUV and find out your results. And I'm going to write a tip for each person out of those 200. Um, it may just be like the, just towards the end, like the last 50, but I just keep smiling and eating or something. Um, but I <laughs> do think I want to try and, and, and so they're going to send over these postcards that we're going to then put in with the books. Um, oh, I like personal touch. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, if someone wants to re- read a book that I've written, then I, I want to be their friend. Um, <laughs> awesome. Listen to Young Hearts Run Free podcast. Thank you, Robbie. There you go. Good, that, 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 that has to go on a few of those postcards, man. We'll, <laughs> we'll slip you a wee brown envelope. We could do, we could do something here. If you write Young Hearts Run Free on one postcard, we could make that a prize. We could do something. We could send them oh. a sticker. Wow. <laughs> there you go. That's, we're right. plotting. We're plotting in the background, Robbie. Okay. I've got to mention though, there's been a fair bit of um chat on Robbie's Twitter feed. And one of them comes from Donny Campbell. Let me just read this, right? This should be a fun read. I wonder if Ultra Britain, that's Robbie on Twitter, has included his tip of carrying your own body weight in dried bananas for an El Scorchio Ultra. Can you enlighten us on that one, Robbie? So, so, so I, this has obviously had a deep impact on Donny's. Uh, Donny, so this was back in 2014, I think, at Transvulcania, and I've been out there uh, a, a couple of months beforehand, staying with a on the on an Airbnb on this German couple's like farm. Uh, I was in this shed, and he dried loads of bananas. So I I did a race beforehand and ate all the dried bananas. I just I loved them. They were really great, and they just kind of packed down. And uh, this El Revanton race I did beforehand, I did okay. And there was a dry banana stand at the end. And I was like, hey, guys, guess what I did? I ate dry bananas this whole race and I finished second. And he loved it. It's an Italian guy selling the dry bananas. But during the race itself, and I believe this might have been the first time I met Donnie during the race. Um, and he, like, if you've seen Donnie race, he always looks super happy. And I say that as sarcastically as possible. Um, he does <laughs> never looks happy during a race. So that to me, as as an irritating Londoner, is like a, this is an opportunity to to be friendly and nice as possible, um, <laughs> and joke around. It's, yeah. And so the the Italian guy had to drive an understand. He come out to it must have been halfway through the race, so like with a lot of climbing left to go, and he literally bought me a kilogram of dry bananas for the race. And you like the bananas? I was like, yeah, but not a kilogram mid race. Like, what do you want to do? You want to see me having a like just in bits around the corner, but I, I still had to take, because he'd come out of the middle of nowhere, so I took a, a decent amount, because I wanted to not be rude, and then Donnie was around me at the time, so I then offered a whole host of these dry bananas, trying to ship them off on Donnie, and then uh, and then we carried on up the hill, and uh, <laughs> I think he, yeah, it, it stuck with him, I was, I was like overwhelmed by dry bananas, and was trying to ship them off onto him, they are good for racing, you just can't have too many of them, I was got a seed. Have you ever tried dried bananas? Oh yeah, like the banana chips, sort of. That you get them. So they, no, they're just like they look. They look like long dry mushrooms. They, they're full length. I'd rather not like the fried chips, oh. but I just kind of. Oh, no. Guy like in sun, uh, sun-dried 
bananas. Yeah, he was driving on his roof. Um, and uh, they were just, they were lovely. But I, the problem was, is that I, because they were like snack sized, when I was out there, I was training a lot and my appetite is often still well above my training capacity. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'll just have some of these these sweets, right? And you like 10 of them just sit there and they're, they're not that big. They're like 10 fingers, right? So I'd literally eat 10 bananas in one sitting and that kind of, because they've taken the water out of them, they just, they don't look as big and you think of them like a pack of sweets. I, and I, I probably, the, the race itself, I didn't have a great one because I think I might have overdone bananas in the... <laughs> so Donnie doesn't know that those bananas gave him a fighting chance in that race. Okay. <laughs> Banana man here. <laughs> right, your book, Robbie, is called 1001 Running Tips. Yes. What is the best or most important running tip that you have learned from someone else? Best tip I've learned from someone else. This is where that, that thoughtful pause comes in. Yeah. This, this, hard, it? There's so much over the years. Um, oh, I, I've just, I, I'm supposed to prepare for this and I've prepared something and I can't remember what I put. I, I like, what comes to mind is someone like just i tell you what I learned, I really enjoyed, and it's just from working with Dan Lawson um, and being there on some of his events. And it's probably something everyone can, everyone can pick, up, pick up on. When you watch Dan run, he just focuses. All, all that's in his world at that time is running. He could literally, he was literally running down the A9, and he was about the only person there who didn't realise just how close every single lorry was to him. He just, he's so zoned in at the task at hand. He's, he could run past the van with his wife, Charlotte, on fire and he probably just grabbed the, the food from her hand and carry on going. Not because he doesn't care. He's a very loving man. But he's got this amazing ability to just totally trust that everything else is going to be looked after. And it just takes a huge weight off him. And I think the rest of us, even like we probably carry a lot of stress from, from other, like we, we worry about life, we worry about family, we worry about the crew that we've got getting to the next checkpoint safely. We worry about someone at home and, and then we start worrying about the, the route we're taking we worry about if we're taking enough food we worry about if, like the other people around us dan just worries about running he just focuses on that and he knows he trusts the people around him to make sure that everything else or he, the, the phrase he uses is the universe will provide and then the phrase i was used it's like that's an diff- interesting nickname dan but uh yeah we will uh make sure you got it but, <laughs> He was surrounded, again, it's because of the, such a lovely person he, he is. People around him love him so much that they do. He does provide for him. And that comes from his, his, his how much a nice person he is. So what I learned from Dan is, and I don't know if Dan knows this, oh, he does, and I've said it to him, but the tip from him is just to, to try and really kind of shift that excess weight and worry away from you. Because mental fatigue, I'll bring in there's some really good stuff with a chap called Samuel Makora. Um, and he, he looks at the, our, how our perception of effort changes, um, especially when we're mentally fatigued. If you carry extra mental fatigue, you, it has a, a physical impact, a physical result on your performance. So if we can remove that element of it, and I still don't know how to. I, when I run, I worry about my food, my pacing, everything. I just And I can't trust other people. Uh, I'm not very good at that. And it's something I'm trying to work on. Um, but all of us can. And it comes back to the crew and stuff. If you've got crew that you trust... And when you're racing, you're doing the West Highland Way and you get to a checkpoint. If you get in there and you know that the crew you've got there is going to give you the right food, 
say the right thing and give you the right information and send you on your way, that's a whole weight on your shoulders that isn't there going into the checkpoint. It isn't there when you're trying to sort the stuff out and well, no, I'm going to need an extra bar, I'm going to need this. You trust that they've got your back and then you run out of that checkpoint with a lighter kind of weight on your shoulders. So that's more of a philosophical tip that I was probably going to give. Oh, that's um, awesome. I love it. Yeah, me too. It's like um, you're in sync, eh? Like there's something there. You're in sync with your crew. There's, mm. you know, and and because of that, the trust thing works works both ways. We know he'll come in here at a certain time, and we'll be ready for him. And I think, um, yeah, that transferring of the the weight to people you trust is something that's really quite, yeah, like you say, quite quite deep. We found it. This is quite a nice story from the from the job. So we were right up in the in the high, in the final part of the last day, and Dan on the penultimate day had had a bit of a mare going into the night. Basically, it it bonked hard, and it was like the first time in the whole um, ten days that we as a crew were like, I don't know if he's going to do this. This is actually this is the first time we thought he's now he's in trouble. And he got up in the morning. And he started basically like he'd forgotten how to, to walk, let alone run. He just was dragging his leg with him. And uh, we were watching him and we were there just really worried. And all our kind of worry was just going on to him. And I said to Charlotte and Mick, I said, I think we've got, I think we've got to fuck off. I think we've got to literally go. But we can go a mile up the road, but he can't see us. We need to show that we believe in him. And the only way we can do that is by leaving him on the side of the, the A9. That's the last age like to do it on his own and like it was literally the only car we had left at that point I think it wasn't like a we could have yeah he was and we we, we left him and then yeah 40 minutes later he comes down the road and he didn't stop until he just jogged the whole way to 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 John O'Groats after that 80 odd miles in one day just, and it, before that he just he couldn't he could barely walk he was just in bits and it was that again we we had to then trust him to do it as well as much as he trusted us the whole way through it, we at that last moment we go, he's a big boy. He, we've got to trust he's got there somehow. We've got to trust he can get it done. And uh, it was quite a nice reflect. Uh, I really like thinking back to that moment because that was a pivotal moment of it that where he, that you saw the true athlete that Dan is and, and why you can laugh and joke and say he, he does. He, he kind of puts that weight and that role of navigation, like especially when we're running across Jordan, on someone else, but. The reason he's such a phenomenal athlete is because when he needs to get that job done, he's he can dig so deep, and you you just have to know that he he will do it. He's he's not he doesn't need to be mollycoddled, doesn't need to be kind of carried along. He needs to be given the kind of the support to do what he does bloody well. Brilliant, that's powerful stuff, man. I know, yeah. and and I also just recalled my memory of that run that you had over Jordan which I remember following you Robbie um, on socials and stuff during that and it just looked like a life experience it just looked like you, know, you, were, you were running waddies and stuff weren't you? It was, they call a, them? Absolutely yeah waddies Woody, I think I don't know pronunciation is probably both on wrong on both of us I don't know um, it, absolutely stunning trail and stunning country just really and the people the people were so lovely the whole way through um, just met some really nice people along the way. Everyone's really welcoming, and it's just there's a there's a phrase from like this. What's the book called? Greenland Days. Martin Lindsay. One of these. It's like a book from like the 1930s. This geezer who's going off to Greenland on one of the early expeditions up there, and they're on the boat on the way over, like sipping whiskeys, kind of looking and like really having a nice time. And they 
I think mean, the, the phrase is we have to be careful. One cannot exhaust one's superlatives too early in an expedition. And I actually, he just described it as a nice moment. He says, but in reality, this was one of the best moments of my life. But it was at the start of a trip. I mean, it yeah. felt like that in Jordan. I, I kept saying that to Dan, like, we can't. This you can't say that this view is the best. That is like is amazing yet yeah, because what we're going to see later, uh, we we had Petra and we had Wadi Rum in the final couple of days, and you're like, we need to save words to describe when we, then when we get there. Then we're like, yeah, this is all right. Yes, yeah, yeah, ancient, <laughs> ancient temple. Yes, yeah, all right, mate. Pretty yeah, it's not bad, not bad, near bad, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> you go through. It was brilliant. we could probably easily easily spend two episodes just discussing that so um i just wanted to touch on it because it just jogged my own memory there is there is a free to watch video for anyone who wishes to see dave mack come out of a stay mcfarland um lost dogs and englishmen he called it um we'll we'll provide that link we'll provide that link yeah yeah that's that can be a teaser actually we can put that out as a teaser Stephen. Coming yeah, up. like a teaser. We're getting into teasers, mate. Yeah, man, we're she, getting adept. <laughs> See, back to the book. Back to the book. The the running book, Robbie. Who's it aimed at? Is it aimed at people just starting out? Is it aimed at outrunners? What sort of yeah, level of running are we talking about? I literally try to target it at everyone. The one thing that I now have, having since had it published, that I regret probably not in there, and it's something I've been doing some stuff back and forth for some of my athletes recently is, is pregnant women. I haven't got a section for pregnant women and there should be a section in there. So that's, and it, but there is obviously, there is a section for female runners and for the female population. There's 5K up to ultramarathon, there's multi-day stuff, there's cross training, there's strength and conditioning, which I, and these areas as well, I, I actually try and get people who know a bit more about it as well um, to, to help me out and to, to friends, like there's a physiotherapy section with, my friend Sarah Tunstall, uh, she helped us with that. Um, there's, there's loads of different sections in there, uh, but I try to, yeah. This, so basically, I, I, the one section I missed out is one that will have to be in the over the second edition one day. Um, but everyone hopefully is included, and there's, there's a whole huge amount in there that um, that really kind of I just made. I wanted to make the idea I use is good advice doesn't have to be boring because um, you get a textbook right, and you like I buy them. And I still wait because I'm hoping it happens, but nothing happens via osmosis. I feel that just having like the, the law running on the shelf, uh, no matter how batshit crazy Tim Lopes went on Twitter, like that would just the knowledge would drip into me and stop when it got to the like the uh, the ketosis side of things. But no, like now, like I want a book to actually people to pick up, and it's got information. Like we start off the earlier sections about getting into running, but also it goes through some bits about physiology, different kind of trainings. How to how to build a plan, how to talk to a coach, but there's no plans and stuff in there because it really focuses on the individual stuff and trying to help athletes make their own like more educated decisions. But it also hopefully reads well, like it's enjoyable. It's a list of tips, right? So you can you can, you can stick it in the bog and read like 15 every time you go, and then by the time you've had however many craps, you're a better runner. Um, <laughs> That's a brilliant selling point. Go for a shit, become a better runner. Oh, I love it. I need to go for lots of shit. Yeah. Let me see if I can get a rhyme out of this. 
<laughs> when you go for a jobby, learn to run better with Robbie. Oh, yes. <laughs> Write that in somebody's card. That'll be brilliant. <laughs> I can see the boys at Vertebrate Publishing <laughs> Marketing Team yeah, going like absolutely bananas. Group of people that you've missed out. And then you're also like talking a load of rubbish. <laughs> I'll get told off. They'll be like, they'll be lining up loads of podcasts and then you're like, right, we're going to stop at one. Um, <laughs> no liability. Yeah. No, there, but there's also, I'm just, I've got it up here, the description. Oh. There's also information there about running with your dog. Yeah, we've got stuff like that in there. It's, I mean, I've got chapters, I should get the chapters up, shouldn't I, somewhere. Because um, that's, I mean, that's that's a big thing there. I see a lot of runners locally here out with a, what do you call them? Canny Cross or Caney Cross or something. They've got the, the race band with their dogs, haven't they? So a lot of people doing that these days. And you also mentioned fell running and music. It's the music bit that's got me. What sort of music does Robbie Britton like? What music do I like? I like a good mix. Um, I do, I was going to, I was going to say just before when I said about there's nothing about running for pregnant ladies we are working on something fast running at the moment just made it sound like i was this blase mentioning that we're about to say we're doing something about it we are working on some stuff for fast running so yeah. watch this space um music i'm into i do like a big mix I'm, I'm, when i was younger i listened to a lot of reggae um i did a re radio station with a friend at uni reggae funkadelic he bought the funk i bought the reggae um but generally i mean you can just anything any song that gives me a good memory i i, I listen to Hanson's Umbop, because it's just a nice song, right? Or, I mean, what's on there now? Well, there's loads of different bits, like some Avicii, uh, some indie rock stuff. I'm trying to find what my like, current list is. Loads of random stuff. What are you guys into? We were doing a bit of soft country recently. There will be a bit of soft country stuff going on. Was it the Jayhawks we were listening to, Stephen? I we were listening to the Jayhawks after um, who was it who gave us a wee um, memory jog about the Jayhawks? A listener. Can't quite mind. I can. For Duns, for doing in the borders. I <laughs> <laughs> listens every week, man. Oh man, he's going to kick my ass. Well, that's you that's talking about that listener, Stephen. And have it like come in later, and you just say it like a robot voice. No, I remember now. It was. <laughs> You're dead, on. <laughs> oh my! I've got my Vici, the Strokes, uh, Toots and the Matals, Maximum, the Lumineers, Magic Dragons, Empire of the Sun, just about oh, anything. Ah, about everything. The only thing I've not mentioned there's about S Club Seven, which uh, I'm cool with that as well. I can I can reach for the stars. You and stuff like that like the, the lyrics to s club seven are constantly seared into the back of my mind right and i'm trying to absorb new knowledge all the time and I, there's a space saved for the lyrics of s club seven you're like why can't i just get rid of that bit right and just put in something about i don't know the vo2 max energy so oh, no, no, i can't remember that stuff Brilliant, man. I, anyway, listen, uh, the name of the guy, Johnny Logan. Johnny, ah, Johnny Logan. Sorry, man. for you coming back with that, Stephen. Well I know, I was sitting there like, oh, because I see this, he ran his Strava the day and he was doing hill reps and stuff. And um, and so, bye. And Robbie, John is 
very much the music hand of this particular duo. Um, he does DJing and he does like Northern Soul nights and stuff like that. And all fantastic. So I look to John to guide my musical journey. And yes. John's, John's made me up a couple of really great Spotify playlists. So we should share we them. Share them. We should share them. You can pick one song that you put in a playlist that reminds you of the time, like, like a nice conversation like this. And then when you're out mm-hmm. in a race, the song, whether it's dog shit or not, I don't know what your taste is like, right? But like, it still reminds you of a good time, right? And then you kind of like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, like, I got one from, is it Pearl Jam? What, Rearview Mirror? That James... Oh, it's James Stewart's tune, isn't it? Years yeah. and years ago. Still on my race playlist. It's still on there because that's that like it reminds me of James rather than... I mean, I don't mind it. And it's stuck. It's a song that I, I wouldn't have picked up on my own, but it's in there because he's given it to me and it reminds me of him and it's just a... It's a nice Brilliant. tie in there. So this... Yeah, as long as it's got to be good to be top tips. <laughs> yeah, I think my whole life has been charted by music memories in my brain. Like 10cc, I'm not in love, always takes me back to the playground in the primary school where I first <laughs> ever heard it. But I'm not going to go there. But I'm really happy that Robbie's mentioned reggae music because reggae music is something that everybody should be into. And yeah. also, also for running, if you want to just have a nice slow tempo run, reggae music's your thing, you know. You, so that's you're everything for you, John. Yeah, if you're not enjoying something around the tempo of reggae music in the first half of an ultra, you're going too fast, right? If you pop on Avicii levels for the first 10k of a 100 miler, you're in trouble, right? You're going to have a bad day. If you're kind of humming three little birds going around yeah. that first hill, right? Then you're going to have a good day. Or I mean, you can still yeah. have a bad day. That's not like a sure fire tip, but. I think I'm going to reinvent myself as the Rasta runner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you can get away with that. I can see your hair on this video. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, been, he's been to Barber today, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I'm going to reach him today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Keep that hat off a second, man. The, the, the crowd need to see this um, this look, right? Here it goes, right? I paid okay. 18 quid for my hair. Right. Who, who cuts your hair, Robbie? Give us a pose now, Robbie. Boom. Who cuts my hair? I cut my own hair. Can't you tell? Uh, usually, <laughs> Sophie Grant, uh, one of my athletes, she cuts my hair when she visits, but we've not seen her for a while. Um, so I cut my own hair before. Because you've got to make it aerodynamic, right? For the racing. Definitely. So cut yep. the sides off. There's actually, uh, a bit of, there's actually a bit of the Joe Strummer look about you. And that's a compliment. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. <laughs> Sophie has a profession as a hairdresser, a very good one. Um, stylist, so I can't besmirch her professional ability with this haircut right now. But she has helped me grow it long on top. I'll just get butchering the sides because I get too hot. Besmirch, there's a word anyway. <laughs> that word, I do like that word. Got to use it tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks for that, Robbie. Good tip. <laughs> okay. Big question. Do you think your book will outsell Ali Bevins? Oh. oh. I mean, I hope so, right? But not because I didn't enjoy Ali's book. This is about one summer. Mine is about the whole running life. But maybe, because I think, right, this is where it all ties in. I can check this before I say it. Because I've got some recommended books at the end of mine. And one of them is Broken by Ali Bevan. Brilliant. So if my book sells well, it recommends Ali's book, and it goes full circle, 
So no, his would always outsell mine because my one recommends his and his doesn't recommend mine. So See, you're just a kind guy. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> I know how to, 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 to grease the correct palms. Got to keep Ali happy. Yeah, he's a happy dude. He's a happy dude. <laughs> it's, now, what I would say as well, listen, where are we time wise, Stephen? What's happening? I have fuck only knows. Another twenty odd minutes, boys, if you're right with that. Oh what an extra time, Stevie Boy. Excellent. <laughs> uh, extra time is an extremely painful term for an English man living in Italy this summer. Ooh. Right. Just, I don't like to talk about that. It was a very difficult time uh after going into the shops. Yes. Ah inglesi. See, inglesi. See. <laughs> Oh, no, no, can't see it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 There's your mentors, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I noticed as well, I've got to ask this question. Um, in the running photo from the weekend that you were using a handheld bottle. Has it always been your preference? This is coming from nowhere. Has there always been your preference, a handheld bottle? Uh, it depends on the situation. I do prefer a handheld. I first used the handheld, this is like an old man now, during the war, um, for the Grand Union Canal race. And I did that, you know that advice? This is definitely a tip in the book. Don't use, buy anything, don't use anything on race day that you've not tested mm. before. The Grand Union Canal race, I bought a handheld bottle because I'd seen it in the American things. This is back in... Oh, 2011, 2012. I bought it the day before the race and used it for all 144 miles. And I just loved it. Um, straight in, you know, this blistered hand at the end. No, the hand was fine. And I did Spartathlon. I did, I remember taping a bottle to my hand because I didn't have a handheld. So I that first. Just taped the plastic bottle to my hand. <laughs> That's a bad idea. And this is why I've got a lot of good tips because I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, but yeah, I do like a handheld, especially like around where we are. There's a lot of taps and fountains. So I can go out for a couple of hours with a 500 ml bottle and I can enjoy hours of running, right? Because I can just take a couple of hours, a couple of extra tabs and just stop at the fountain, fill it up and off I go again. It was, I don't, I'm not massively keen on running with a lot of lot of gear on. I will do, I don't mind a pack. But yeah, given the choice, I will mm-hmm. go minimal and uh, I'll look like someone who's like not got all the mandatory kit, but I have, just got it in miniature version. Yeah. Honey, I shrunk my mandatory kit. Yes. And what's what's in your bottle these days? Just water normally, or um, I, I'm sponsored by Precision Hydration, so I do. They they send us a load of the either just the, the, the electrolyte tabs that fizz up with mm-hmm. zero carbs in, or their little sachets which got 15 grams of carbs and the and the the correct amount of electrolytes that I should be taking. So generally, it's that. Sometimes the bottle in the race had. Uh, Beta fueling, which is very difficult, right? Because I'm sponsored by Precision Hydration. They make a drink mix. Um, I've used the beta fuel stuff. I, I also use the Precision Hydration in the race because it balances out. Because the beta fuel's got no electrolytes in, so you've got to add them in yourself. Um, so it is a mix, but they they're the high carb energy drinks. Um, so I use some of them. I generally buy the one that's uh, on offer um, or going out of date. We've got a load of going out of date gels. They're always good. Um, yeah, it's going to go out of date in those it's just sugar and tube yeah I, I used a gel at the weekend and I checked the date on it just before the race started and it was like July 2018 I'm like yeah, that's, that's, that's okay I think it matures like a cheddar like a whiskey like a wine it's a sealed container what can go wrong 
Yeah, well, again, I'm not. So we use it for training for race day. I try to have less, more kind of like in date stuff. But for training, you go on like some of the. You just get a bulk load of them if you're going to use them. You start to get used to it, and if anything, you want to test it a bit more in training, right? We can just start science around training the gut in the weeks before your races, and you train it to take on board the the amount that you're going to use in the race, and it and it adapts and it grows. If you test it with some out of date gels, it's probably going to grow even stronger. That that is not proven. Um, <laughs> well, I like, a, a, a slight disclaimer on behalf of Vertebrate Publishing. Robbie is not advocating that you use out of date gels for your races. Well, I am. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> contesting that. Mate, I've got an athlete who makes his own. Ivan makes his own. Um, just uh, whatever you do with food, just test it, right? Test yeah, it all out. Yeah, Find out what works for you. You're all very different. Make your own gels. Mm. Yeah, I like gels. I'm intrigued. I don't know how he does it. I like. I think it's a, yeah. He, he buys the. I'll have to ask him. You can make your own gels. It yeah. seems like a lot of hard work for me. But in, in terms of sustainability, you can put them in your own reusable pouches, so you you aren't creating a wrapper each time you do it. So it does have that side of that side of it there. I think he wanted to make his own flavors. So he had different flavors he was making himself. And he just didn't get on with the gels he, he was you could buy on the market but yeah again you've got the sustainable side of things you can then reuse and some of the brands like goo do like a big container and apparently that's not single serving that's you, you squeeze out into your own little soft flasks each time ah active route have a similar you know they've got that little a mix, soft flask and they've got a gel mix and then you can make it in fact um, we had somebody on the podcast um a happy runner john yeah Male. No. No male. <laughs> You're going to hate me. I'm going to fucking find a name now. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is a definite <laughs> cut. But... Oh, who was that? I don't know that was. The rest of them were miserable. It wasn't Donny. Jesus. Come on, <laughs> come on, Dave. What's going Vic, on here? Vic Owens, man. It's Vic, Vic Owens. Owens. Yeah. Because she made slushies with, with ice cubes. So instead of putting water in to mix them, she put ice cube in and it over the course of her run, it kind of went in almost like a slush puppy. So I looked into that, right? Because in terms of uh, pre-cooling before uh, before races, so you look at stuff like in Tokyo in a marathon, the race walking. There's a guy, the Canadians are really good at this. They've got a guy called Trent Sterlingworth. Uh, you follow him on Twitter. It's some really good stuff around. Like, but ingesting cold like ice slurry is one of the most effective ways of, of lowering our core temperature. So they'll do that pre-race. It can also lead, it can lead to GI issues, right? So you, a gastrointestinal issue. So you, it's it's not something we generally lose in the longer stuff. But I think, and also it's hard to carry a slice puppet machine around with you. But I was thinking, like, because the next World Champs for the 24 hours is in Taiwan, Chinese Taipei. I don't know the politically correct way of saying the location. I've forgotten. Um, but it's in a very humid, it's in Southeast Asia. It's humid as anything. Um, and... Yeah, it, I was thinking, I wonder if we could get like an ice slushy machine out there and we can like squeeze it out and then they put it in with their, make it, mix it up with the energy drinks and that would have the cooling effect and it'll take it on board. But it's just making sure they don't then get like upset stomachs. But yeah, the, could, so I think Slush Puppy, genius. You can there make you a go. fortune for that, Robbie, man. I don't make money, mate. Jeez. Just want to run faster. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Now, we've got to, we said 20 minutes left, we're done to about 15, we've got 35. Anyway, um, we've got to speak as well about, you've mentioned about the jog with Dan. I want to, be, I want to 
um, ask you about that because pre-recording we spoke about um, Dal Winnie as well. That it was also a jog where John bumped into you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, you might not remember. I met you one morning as you went through Perth. You were just you'd stayed over. You came into Glover. Glover Street, and then the next morning you were away, and you were up, and I ran with you. I, I actually stopped you running up the side of Fairfield because there was a flood, and I right. and, and we went up with Uncleeld Road. And we um, were with Richie. Is that when we were Richie, or was that a different time? Oh, I have no idea, man. There was two other, two or three other guys there just running up the up but the John, Road. John contacted me later that day, Robbie, and said that he pretty much saved the whole attempt because. He, <laughs> <laughs> he diverted you running through probably what was in his head waist high flood waters. Yeah. And you were on a bike. Down with it straight. Quite a few floods over the course of it. And uh, like at one point, I was like, "I'll carry. You. We'll get you through, Dan. And you can use my shoes." And, you, and he was like, "No, nah, I'll just go through barefoot." It's like, "What if there's glass in there, Dan?" He's like, "Don't like, matter, does it?" And you're like, "Just put, just put my shoes on. I'm getting wet. Don't matter. My shoes are wet, mate. Nah, so I'll just walk through barefoot and just and he's like wandering through flood water barefoot." Like, this is where it all goes wrong. Um, See, so I, I, I protected that from, I stopped yeah. that from happening that day. So, but in Scotland though, and you've got, you've got a connection with Scotland, don't you, Robbie? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, my mum was born up in Scotland. My grandfather worked on a railway hamlet up near Dalwini, and my mum was just up there this week, and she's 60 last year. She's 61 this year, but obviously couldn't celebrate last year, so she's celebrating her 60th this year. Um, and it was up there that weekend. So when we ran past Pit Lockery and Dal Winnie on the A9, I was like, this is kind of my history. Obviously, we solely stayed on the A9, so I didn't really get to delve into the history. Uh, but I, I do want to go up that way and, and kind of visit it one time. My mum's been up there with her brothers this weekend, and she's just a really emotional trip. And she, my mum's got into open water swimming. She, she lives at South End on Sea around there. And she gets in the, the Thames or the estuary like once a day now, and it's freezing cold. She did it all through the winter. And she went and swam in the in the lock that my nan used to swim in when she was like, I mean, it must be what fifty odd years ago. It's quite nice awesome. for her to kind of go up there and, and to see that. And uh, yeah, so yeah, that's actually, my connection. Actually, had manor up here. Yeah, my middle name is Grant, and apparently that's my grandfather's middle name as well. And that's just, just that's what passed down. My Scottishness is in the middle. Just with. I'm not named after Robbie Burns, though, unfortunately. I'm named after my dad, very unimaginatively. Um, <laughs> Britain. Britain just sounds like they made it up when they got to the shore at some point. Wait, wait, what's your name? I don't know. Where are we? Great Britain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where are we? <laughs> Brilliant. Stephen, oh. are you going to say something? you coming in? No? No, man. I'm fucking just enjoying myself. Sorry. <laughs> right. Can we talk about Can we talk about what's next for Robbie Britton? You can, yeah. Mm. So any of this is coming up the rest of this year, or what's, what's your 2022 plans? Mm. Well, I'm just back, and I? It's just like... So I did this common thing. I don't know if you've, uh, you've ever done this. You get one race, you come back from an injury, and what you do is you instantly look for every other race you can do yeah. as soon as possible. Um, <laughs> And I contacted the Madeira Ultra Trail and asked for a spot. And actually, I don't think it's, I'm, it's probably a wise idea. I have paid for the entry, but I am kind of wondering whether it's just a bit too quick from six hours straight up. So I don't know if I'm doing that. But what I am doing next Friday is a bike packing race that I've done for the previous two years called the Two Volcano Sprint. 
and it's 1100 kilometers 26,000 meters it starts and this year the last two years it's been from Vesuvius to Etna and this year it's from Etna and we go up Etna twice and then we cycle all the way to Vesuvius and we finish at Vesuvius in, wow. in Naples so I got that next Friday I'm trying to do it under three days I've been I was like five days and then three days and two hours so this time I want to do it under three but it's longer this time because it's the other way as well don't know uphill in it so uh, hopefully Hopefully I can do it under three days. But I've not been doing much cycling. I should have asked this I should have asked this question first. How are your legs now after the weekend? After six hours? They're all right. I like I've like so I, I'm part of a Zwift you mentioned Zwift earlier. I'm part of a Zwift team. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it this spring when we were stuck indoors a bit more. Um mm-hmm. it's a really nice the BL thirteen team. And there was an, another ultra runner, Daz Carter, who I've known for quite a few years through the racing. He said to me, come and join his team. And I was a bit of a laugh. I've come from team sports. So I, I played football, rugby, I was younger. So I love the team element of it. And they, we had a race yesterday. So I had to, Tuesday morning, spin my legs around to make sure they were working. And then last night I was racing in a Zwift race. And it was like, a, it was only like 50 minutes and it's on the bike. And I find it probably wasn't the wisest idea so soon after the race. But I, it had to, we get points just for me finishing so I was like well I'll turn up but if I'm proper kippered I'll just finish and I got dropped by the front group and the our boys I would normally be up there with them and I just didn't have it in me this time um but I battled out with this back group and I shout you're on the I was chatting the funny thing is right it's a great idea you all, we have this thing called discord and you put it on your ear and you're all like this is the six you in the team and you're all like chatting away at the start and you do a little warm-up together and then you kind of cycling and you're like, okay, well, tactics, we'll talk to each other. And then as soon as you get to the first climb, it's just 40 minutes of men grunting down the road. <laughs> Heavy Because <laughs> 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 me I can talk even when at like the, the highest of, I've got extra oxygen to, to talk at every given time. So just be five men grunting and me shouting, because I've been dropped, so I can't see what they're doing. So I'm trying to get when they need the encouragement. Um, that's it boys only well I've got five going to go you've probably got four come on boys you can do this coming up to it are you coming up to it I don't know if you're going and I'm just guessing what they're doing and then they're just <laughs> and you're like oh no is that the finish are you coming to the finish oh no he's just he's having a oh no he's, is he finished I don't know <laughs> oh it's a down it's a down it was going down the head uh, I'm on the wrong call yeah. <laughs> Someone's joined on and he's he's just in a park somewhere, just enjoying it. He's like, "What's going oh. on, teamwork?" Oh. Um, so yeah, it was a. Uh, I've raced since the legs are all right. I haven't. I jogged on Monday with Nats. We just did a little one where we were staying, but it's thirty minutes and the legs were pretty sore. And then the, I find the bike really does help. Mm-hmm. Today took it easier, but a bit of a sore throat. Uh, did but we got a home COVID test, so I haven't tested positive. But I just gone on, on a 40 minute bike ride because I had to get my bike um, and then tomorrow I'll see how I feel I might do an easy run or two but yeah I'll, I'll be biking for the next couple of weeks mainly I want to get back out running I just love it yeah, yeah. did you get did you get that feeling again Robbie that you know the the race endorphins and stuff what about two hours in when you're thinking you know what maybe I could break the world record <laughs> run this hurts <laughs> I'm going to uh, actually. I saw your picture on Instagram of your endeavour at the weekend, and I noticed you had what you had on your feet. Yeah, I have. John, that's what 
was going to ask before with a handheld. So did I. I was getting all kind of excited, and then John went handheld, and I was like, no, he's obviously going to ask about his vapor flies. I'm leaving that to you, Schwanker man. Yeah, man, because <laughs> what, what did you have on next percent too? Yeah, I, so I am. If you go back in time to the 2015 champs, I boycotted. I, I'm, I'm anti Nike, right, for what mm-hmm. their sponsorship of of, uh, of of convicted dopers like Nat, uh, Justin Gatlin and and like so much that I don't like about the company. Yeah. So I'm kind of first pro like advert, but like, I'm the best advert they're going to get. Like, I don't like the company, and then like I've done stuff in the past that's screwed myself over just to make a point about it all, and now I'm wearing a sodden shoes, and you're like, oh mate. <laughs> I, I literally could have just I, I, I did my head in. So, I, but I just I ended up finding that. So those ones I bought, I, I literally bought them the morning I wrote an article about Alexander breaking the 25 world record in them right. because that's my peer, that's my competition that I know in the past I competed with. And how much is that? What well, he's got there? He, he's improved. No, I'm not saying it's down to the shoes. It's yeah, an yeah. element. He's definitely improved over the years brilliantly, and he's and that's with hard work, dedication. And a just resounding ability to suffer, but they've got to bring something, right? So I, I yeah, I ordered them. I have run in the, the my marathon PB is still in non-carbon plate shoes, so, mm-hmm. so I've sorted two twenty nine without them. Two twenty nine uh, legally. Pardon? Two twenty nine was your legal marathon PB right. time. I mean, they are legal, mate. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't running in hobnail boots, so I can't claim it like the same as ML's Attafek or something. So uh-huh. it's it's a I don't know, it's a difficult one, but it, I know that I react well to those shoes. So there's yeah. a temptation, like, I could spend 250 quid on a pair of ASICs, mm-hmm. right, or the Adidas versions and stuff, but I'm tired. It, and I reckon it, it gets, you get caught up in it. Even for your training, you're like, well, I'm running well. I don't want to run a shit run tomorrow. Yep. It doesn't matter. You're going to get the same physiological benefit from it. But if you wear the faster shoes, you go faster for that run, your heart rate's lower, and you get a bigger confidence boost. So it's a... It's a real, yeah, it's a solid. And, and do you think there is a bit of a placebo effect with them? Do you know, in, in terms of convincing your brain, think it's like that kid, you get a new pair of shoes and they can run faster, that. Definitely that there. I think like, some of the elements, I was discussing this with someone yesterday, but what two of the elements that I think are potentially overlooked, initially, the first one is, well, if you invest that kind of money in your shoes, mm-hmm. like, as a runner, you take other stuff seriously too. You're like, okay, well, I can't really spend that much money on shoes if I'm just going to go and get smashed at the pub the night before. So you yeah. don't get smashed at the pub the night before the race, right? You take your training a little bit more seriously because you, and it's one element. And other sports, you see it with the, I don't know, when you when you've spent two years cycling, the the whole idea of of buying faster is just entrenched, and it's just so true. I'm sitting there on my bike, and it's, I've built myself, and it's it's cost a couple of grand, and it's a good bike. And there's a geezer next to me on a 10 grand bike that if we swap bikes, I would go quicker. Ah. And you're like, oh man. And that's like eight grand to, to make that jump. So then you look at 100, and I got them for 180 pounds um, on an on a Italian website and they're on my size. Yep. And yeah, and so the other side is the ability to train more consistently as well. Because if it, what, the, what they're doing is like lowering that impact on your body in the last stage for the race. So if you can then run yeah. 20 miles in training without as much a hard effort it means you're going to recover from that a bit quicker it so is I, and it's addictive they can be addictive in it's, it's a habit um i mean if you're yeah. thinking well think about this if your job is a coach i could spend all day talking to my athlete getting the building the plan for them working on their confidence their sports psychology and nutrition right and getting them ready for a marathon with specific training polarized you can throw all these fancy words in 
or I can tell them to buy some new shoes and they will run faster. Does your head in, right? Because then you're like, as a coach, you think, yeah, oh, well, look it, I've got these guys running PBs. Yeah, I'm the dog's bollocks. And you're like, what have you done? I just told them to buy some new shoes. <laughs> Gave them the same pants last year. Um, <laughs> what? And I think as coaches, you've got to kind of accept that. The part of that, like the improvement we're seeing with people these years is, is these shoes. And it's great, right? Because people are running faster. I think your analogy with the cycling and, you know, everything's, you know, the, the, the 10 grand bike and you could do it in that. I mean, I was down at London Marathon at the weekend and it was like a convention of carbon. Like, it was just, you know, everybody in my pen and I'm not in the, you know, first wave. I was like looking around going, oh my, everybody's been caught up in this. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, there must then be a reason to know it's not just a fad they do work and that's that's the long that's why i'm wearing them because they work yeah. um yeah. and you think like, again we look at the cost of it. it's expensive for shoes you try and buy another pair of shoes for less than one of these days you're struggling didn't you you're getting yeah. like the size four like rainbow colored shoes that no one's wanted to buy anymore because they're, they're, like, they're size four men's or something you're doing all right uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's. Yeah. I, I think. Like, what size are you? Somewhere between nine and fifteen or something. Yeah. <laughs> but like you, you see, so you're looking at two pairs of shoes, yeah. and you think of the other money and the time. We think about money, but the time we put into our sport. It's not. It's not. It's a time-intensive sport. And if you can put a bit, and I, I, I kind of look at it when people say to me they're too expensive for that. I'm like, mm, yeah, you travel down to London. You put time into it, you put training into it, you've got the right kit, you've got the right gels, you probably bought something at the expo you didn't need, uh, you're in a hotel, all that costs there, right? You're in your fancy sauna, that's imaginary. And, uh, and the shoes are going to reduce your time, and it's a hard one to not. Yeah, I definitely no, I... resisted for a while, man. I resisted them, and I can see why people would. Yep. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you, and I felt... You know, I'm no a 2.29 marathoner um, by any stretch, but the difference in terms of the flow or the um, the rhythm that I'm able to run in them, do you know, there's something about just that forward, feel, I find it hard to explain, feeling a forward propulsion that they almost... Yeah, it you know, it's, in, that, in, a, in a much more full, like, again, and this is one of the things to consider if someone is running in a, any shoe that's going to change your gait, but it's, it's to build up into them. Because you see quite a few people kind of saving them for race day. Mm-hmm. putting them on early especially in ultra running if you're going to do an ultra in, in a pair of shoes that are kind of built for the for running that fast and putting you up on your toes a bit more you're going to see much more impact on your calves achilles your hamstrings yep. because you're, you're not running in them in, in the way that you're probably used to running an ultra same with a marathon and the other side is to not always run them in all the time because you want to keep your body working in, in different ways and i i i will do a few sessions in them i'll do a few long runs in them before a race but they're not my everyday shoe. I kind of yeah. mix it up. I wear different ones just so that I make sure that I'm not kind of overly reliant and, and then changing my gait too much to that I then need to spend 180 quid per, per shoe because I can't afford that. Like, yeah. That's ridiculous. It's, uh, uh, mine's are now back in their box with the like the, the little cardboard inserts back in. Do you know, <laughs> like, uh, they're away till I think next spring potentially. We'll see, John. John, you frozen? No, right, no. no, no John tends to gloss over when we talk shoes. Is he? Is he wearing that like, like Dunlop green flash? Yeah, no, I just, I just took uh, delivery today of a new pair of Asics. Asics, fifty quid, bright red, fucking perfect, spot on. 
<laughs> been the Asics, didn't she, when she ran 14, 45, whatever, 5K? They weren't the 50 quid ones, so if you got them for 50 quid, then you'd be doing all right. But uh, yeah. <laughs> all right as well. Okay, yeah, that's, that, cool. that's our Schwanker talk of the week. Done. Schwanker talk is like, Stephen, let, open that dialect dictionary corner. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah we've, we've, we've done Schwankers, Latin. John's no a schwanker. I think Robbie and I are sound like we're a bit a couple of schwankers. What is a schwanker? Somebody that loves shoes. A shoe wanker. I've got loads of them. Like yeah. there's a whole pile out there. I ch- I'm buying less of them these days because of the influence of Daniel Allen Lawson. I'm Aye. using up all the ones I've bought over the years and been given for reviews and stuff. Okay. So there's at least a few holes and like the soles are cracked before I go on to the next one. So that, that means you're an ethically aware swanker. Oh, hypocritical <laughs> swanker, I think is the term. Hypocritical <laughs> swanker. <laughs> and on to our next segment of the show, which is the Young Hearts Run Free Dialect Dictionary. Um, we like to invite our guests to submit an entry into our dictionary. A word from when you were growing up, where you've lived, something, a phrase. So I've got one that, is, that Dan and I have used, and we liked it. It's a phrase, insouciant ragamuffins, right? It's a, it's a phrase, it died out in the 30s and 40s and stuff like that. There's a book about Eric Tillman, Eric Shipton and Bill Tillman, these two uh, expeditioners and, and mountaineers back in, in like the early Everest expeditions. And insouciant, I've got a definition up just to make sure I get it right. Free from concern, worry or anxiety, carefree, nonchalant. Ragamuffin, or that kind of, you get that, right? We just look like scruffy little shits. Um, but insouciant, it's just a lovely word, and it's it's gone, right? And we try, like, you try and bring it back a little bit, but just carefree, nonchalant, just. I love nonchalant. Nonchalant's a great word, very underused. Yeah. So insouciant ragamuffin. Yeah. Brilliant. If, you, if I can, if I can get one day be described as an insouciant ragamuffin, I'll have to bring the word back into the general. Use, use usability of their population first. Brilliant. Okay. That's my favourite one. Thank you very much for that. I think we agree that's in, Stephen. That is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The the... one you're having in there, isn't it? It's probably the least funny one. <laughs> well, I, like, I, I like the I like the explanation that came along with it. So yeah, that is accepted into the dialect dictionary of words and phrases. Thank you, Robbie. <laughs> right, I think we said we were going to speak about Robbie's book, One Thousand and One Running Tips. Yeah. Thousand and One Running Tips. Yeah. This whole episode has been filled with hunters of running tips. <laughs> well, it feels like hunters of running tips as well. So you're getting more than a thousand and one, certainly if you're getting this book. And what I would say is, given what how Robbie's described the book. That's out on the 15th of November, can be pre-ordered just now for 20 British pounds or the, or the equivalent. But you know what? It sounds like it's going to be the book for you or the book for a loved one. And it's come to Christmas. Maybe it's the perfect Christmas present for somebody. So, you know what I mean? So we'll put the we'll put the link to our very good friends, Vertebrate Publishing, in the, in the, in the show notes. John, did you hear that scripted, John? No, this is right off the cuff. That's vertebrate publishing being in touch I am with a swanker of the tongue. Yeah, <laughs> that was immaculate. I think you are going to get a, a, a like for a tweet 
from Vera Bay. Hobart, Hobart fucking still recording. We're still recording, don't worry. Oh, man. No, how's it's been a tip fest? It's been well, awesome. I'm really and looking forward to seeing what people think of the book. I'm really, I put it, a lot of time and effort into it, but it's not just the writing, but the years beforehand. And I just, uh-huh. I hope people enjoy it as much as I enjoyed writing it. And it's, yeah. So I'm looking forward to how people, how it's perceived by people. Obviously, I'll probably, like, might, I'm kind of zoning on the, the one or two negative comments, but I will enjoy a lot of the good ones. I mean, I'm almost looking forward to some people that don't like it as well, because we can have a right laugh for those. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely brilliant. Wasn't well, I think I love, Robbie, I love your energy, man. Honestly, I do. It's absolutely brilliant. And you've obviously got a, a load of knowledge and there's a lot of history. Some of the things you've spoken about tonight is you've, you you obviously know your stuff and it's brilliant. And some of the things you've referenced have been absolutely fantastic. So thank you so very much for your time. And I, hopefully we've not annoyed you that much that you'll come back and we can speak some more about some of the some of the great stuff you've done in the past and the things coming up as well. I want to wish you all the very best of luck. And I'm going to call it the volcano cycle. That's what I'm going to call it. But it's called the two volcano sprint. Yeah. Yes. 1500 k's of sprint. Cool. All the all the all the very best with that, and I'll hand over to Stephen just to wrap us up. Yeah, no, I just want to emphasise what Sean said. Firstly, thanks very much for giving up your time to catch up with us. I know it's an hour later, and your bedtime is is soon. Yeah, so I really appreciate that. And do you know, I've followed John and I have followed you on Strava for a lot of years, and you know, we've always been. and, and I knew the last couple of years have been rough for you and I really appreciate you kind of sharing how you've adapted to some another passion or found a, another passion in cycling. Um, and it's been great to see, um, to hear, to know just how, okay, it's not the end of the world, I can't run. And you have embraced something new um, and, and stuff. So no, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, if you do do Madeira, the, um, watching how you got on there and, and then just your journey back to the to the, the world of ultra running as well because I think there's still a lot a lot a lot to give so no thank you Robbie it's been a pleasure ah, very kind thank you very much no worries